Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hello and welcome to episode number 126 of the VK Bros. With the VK Bros, Jason and Alex Von Cannell, where we are wishing you a very happy new year. We are doing this all, not live, on New Year's Eve. We, we're live. We are live, we're live. It's Saturday night. not when you hear it. And I'm feeling right. Uh, happy New Year to all of you, because by the time you'll be listening to this, it will be New Year's Day. Uh, Alex, I believe that you had a, a couple of words you want to say about the wonder of New Year's. I want to say nothing feels better than accomplishment. I want to say that. Mm-hmm. And uh, a mate of mine did not reach all of his targets that he had set himself for the gym. So he was there today to tick one off the box. Yep. And then that inspired me. I read 200 pages of the book. So I finished. Uh, I finished a book. Yep. Um, I've read more books this year than I have in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that number is four. <laughs> so it's low. But, hey, it's a start. But, it's a start. Um, There's I read four two more in books December. than a lot of people have read. Yeah. So if you start doing a like, if you were to do a graph of like my book reading, I'd, two in December. So yep. so so two in the eleven months leading up to. So there's a spike then, in your graph. A large spike. Yeah, but it's going to continue because I know I can do it now. I, I always had this self-doubt that uh, I couldn't do it. I didn't have the concentration, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it and I'm loving it. And I'm learning heaps. Yep. And you, yeah, I I was out for most of the day. I was, I was, I was on the couch outside reading, reading like crazy, reading, nice. reading, 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 reading. And then still got a bit of a workout in this afternoon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing what you can do when you have, you make the time. Yeah. It's amazing what you can achieve. And I, I guess it all comes down to the mindset that you bring into any of those activities and the way you look at it. So a lot of people look at reading books as a chore. Clearly, mm. you look at reading books as a positive of self-improvement mm. and uh, it's an investment in yourself and Absolutely. you're going to get a payoff from that. So Yeah. And I just want to say as well, going forward, I am 2023... I've got some big shit happening in 2023. Mm-hmm. Big, 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 big stuff. And I'll tell you when I can tell you. Yep. But uh, I've never been more motivated in my life than what I am right now. Mm-hmm. This project that I'm working on, I do something for every day without yep. fail, including Christmas Day. And whether that be adding something to the business plan, whether that be researching something, whether that be talking to someone about it, um, whether that be allocating some jobs to, to get done, Mm-hmm. Every single day, and 2023 will be the same. Every day, I'm committed to building this other thing. Yeah. Um, and big, I've got big, 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 big plans. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we're we're hoping that you guys have some plans and some goals that you're shooting for mm. in 2023. Uh, a lot of people talk about things like New Year's resolutions and stuff like that. I'm not a massive believer in New Year's resolutions. I believe in you know, setting goals, reassessing your goals, maybe course correcting. If you like, you're, you're allowed to change your goals. If you realize that what you're doing isn't really getting you to where you want to be, you know, course, correct, change goals. So it's just a good new weeks revolution uh, resolutions. Yeah. Like you can make one at the start of every week. Like you can go, okay, what am I going to nail this week? What am I going to do? What am I going to achieve? Yeah. And seriously, like I feel, I feel like, I feel like I've never done more. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, the the feeling of accomplishment is so good. Yeah, yeah. And in this time of year, which is a really good time for reflection, it's nice to look back at it and go, I'm actually doing really well, you know? 
I've, mm-hmm. I really have taken myself to the next level. I really yep. am doing more than I've ever done before. So that's awesome, yep. man. Totally. That's awesome. All right, let's get into some... Um, All right, so to, to finish the year and facts. start your 2023 on a great note, we've got a massive show for you today. Uh, there has been a lot of sort of bombshell data which has come out over the last week or so which I think it's extremely important for us to get into. But mm. where, we, where we want to start with this is I caught what I believe will be the media's next sneaky trick in regards to how they are going to explain the sudden rise in young people experiencing heart attacks and dying. Mm-hmm. So if you can bring up this uh, first article, Alex... So I caught this story now, uh, most of you probably would have heard about it. So this Australian girl, 24 years old, uh, I'll just read it. So this story is from, uh, is this news.com? So tragedy as South Australian woman, 24, dies from COVID after Bali trip. So remember, listen to the language, it's extremely important. A young Australian woman has tragically died after becoming struck down with COVID one day after a holiday in Bali. Hayley Beedman from Aldinga in South Australia died at an Adelaide hospital on Tuesday after going into a myocarditis-induced cardiac arrest. The 24-year-old and her partner Ben Moore tested positive for COVID on November 23 when arri- after arriving back from their holiday. Less than 24 hours later, Hayley started experiencing chest pains and an ambulance was called and she was taken to hospital for further investigation of her symptoms. Now, I don't need to read more into that story itself, but if we analyse the language that's used in that, this is what they're saying. They are saying she got COVID within 24 hours, she got myocarditis from the COVID, and then she's subsequently had heart complications and she's unfortunately passed away about a month later. So look, our, just to start off with, our hearts go out to the family and herself. Mm. Uh, it's a terrible situation. The thing to keep in mind is, at no point at all in that article does it mention what her vaccine status is. Now, one thing that you do need to know is to enter Bali, you, you currently need to be triple vaccinated. So we, Yeah, I'm just checking now. Um... Uh, I think Bali travel regulations. This is the official Bali.com. Uh, there are two main aspects travelers need to consider when regulations, the general travel requirements in relation to COVID reg- and the visa regulations. Uh, where can I visit? Do I need a visa? What vaccination requires? Fully vaccinated can travel. Travelers who are not fully vaccinated do not need to quarantine and can enter Indonesia now with PCR test. Okay. Fully vaccinated, two doses or more. Johnson Johnson counts as two doses. Unvaccinated can only enter with a medical exemption letter. Unvaccinated travellers can enter Bali or Indonesia only if they are medically exempted. Yeah. Comorbidity diseases. Yeah. Uh, so medical need... exemptions that no one was handing out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so in one... other words, you yeah. need to be at least two dose vaccinated to enter Bali. Yeah. So we know she has had at least two doses of vaccine. Yeah. Okay. Now, the article never mentions it at all. So this, I believe, we will see much, much more of. And I did a quick Google search uh, this afternoon and I found two other stories which are very similar mm-hmm. where they talk about myocarditis, they talk about them getting a COVID infection, but they don't mention vaccine status at all. Now, when you consider the fact that 
in the police shooting story we spoke about last <laughs> week, they were quick to mention what their vaccination status was, even though it's completely irrelevant to the story. Mm. You would think a COVID-induced uh, myocarditis issue, the vaccine status might be relevant to the story and they leave it out of this one. So mm-hmm. this is the next sneaky trick that you need to keep an eye on. And this is why... There's a study that came out of Israel a little while ago, which I'll get you to bring this up next. And Israel actually studied... Uh, here we go. So here's the study here. Now, I'm just going to read the, the study abstract to you. And it you'll... is from... So it's from PubMed. So yeah. it, like people need to understand. It's like from the NIH. Yeah, like it, this is a, a real, t- completely legitimate study. So the study is the incidence... Hold on, of... is that censored? Yeah, sorry. The incident of myocarditis and pericarditis in post-COVID-19 unvaccinated patients, a large population-based study. So this is the abstract. Myocarditis and pericarditis are potential post-acute cardiac sequelae of COVID-19 infection arising from adaptive immune responses. We aimed to study the incidence of post-acute COVID-19 myocarditis and pericarditis. Retrospective cohort study of 196,992 adults after COVID-19 infection in, what's that, Clelit Health Services members in Israel between March 20 and January 2021. So in other words, they've done a retrospective study based on people who got a COVID infection between the beginning of the pandemic and the beginning of the vaccine rollout. So none of these people are vaccinated. Yep. Inpatient myocarditis and pericarditis diagnoses were retrieved from day 10 after positive PCR. Follow-up was censored on 28th of February 2021 with a minimum observation of 18 days. The control cohort of 590,976 adults, so more than half a million adults, with at least one negative PCR and no positive PCR were age and sex matched. Since the Israeli vaccination program was initiated on 20th December 2020, the time period matching of the control cohort was calculated backward from the 15th of December 2020. Nine post-COVID-19 patients developed myocarditis, which is 0.0046%, and 11 patients were diagnosed with pericarditis, which is 0.0056%. In the control cohort, 27 patients had myocarditis, which is 0.0046%, so the same, and 52 had pericarditis, which is 0.0088%, so slightly higher. Age-adjusted hazard ratio that, uh, was 0.96, had, had a 95% confidence if interval. There's a whole bunch of uh, additional data it's here, a which is of a bit of a breakdown, not super relevant. Yeah. Uh, post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with either myocarditis or pericarditis. We did not observe an increased incidence of neither pericarditis nor myocarditis in adult patients recovering from COVID-19 infection. So that is a large study with more than half a million people that were involved in it from Israel. Okay. And can you just go back to that study? What was the date on the study? Because that was a little while Uh, ago. The date uh, was April 15th, 2022. Okay, so in other words, it's been out for well and truly long enough for every single news agency to know that that study exists and shows that there is no uptick in myocarditis or pericarditis from patients recovering from COVID who are not vaccinated. Yes, it's flat out lie. It's yep. a lie. Yep. Yep. They've, and and uh, we knew it. We knew it. We didn't know that about this study we knew about a couple of weeks ago, I think, was when I saw it for the first time. I've known time. about this one for a while. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean... There was myocarditis was not a symptom of COVID. Nope. 
Never it was. never has been. It never has been until people started dying mm-hmm. from the vaccine. People yep. now go, oh, yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, it's COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I totally think that they're, they're going to... Um, I mean, they have also tried the, oh, if you sleep too much, you're going to have a heart attack. If you, <laughs> if yeah. you eat too much, you have a heart attack. If you wear blue clothes, you're going to have a heart attack. Like, they're, try, they're throwing all this stuff to hide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what the real thing is that's right and, and it's 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 fascinating and it's obviously it's disappointing but it's fascinating that it just doesn't seem to matter how much more data comes out they're mm. just filling the the social square with as much noise as they possibly can just to keep bamboozling and fooling people as long as they possibly can yeah but because also if you if it, I, i've had this i've spoken to people about it on the street yeah and they'll go oh no no that's that's like long COVID. that's long COVID." Mm. Um, I'm like long COVID there's no evidence that long COVID exists that's right yeah and there's not a, there's no study that says that long COVID that's exists. right that's right and the the thing that always gets mixed and I, I spoke to you about this I think today but the thing that always gets mixed missed in the pro-vax anti-vax debate is the pro-vaxers go oh the, the negative outcomes of getting COVID is so much worse and then the anti-vaxxers go, no, the negative outcomes of getting vaccinated is so much worse. But yeah. what no one takes into account is if you get vaccinated, you still get COVID. So you yeah. roll the dice on both. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, that segues us into the next study, which is the more recent study which just came out, which is even more troubling. And this one here is very, very technical. So I read through this last night. And again, I'm not an epidemiologist or virologist or whatever. But uh, can you just scroll up to the actual title? So this is from science.org. So again, another prestigious medical journal. This is a peer-reviewed study. Or an internet blog if you're asking the fact checkers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. so here's the title of this particular site. Now, we'll put links to this in the show notes if you do want to go through and read them yourself. I do encourage you to do so. Class switch toward non-inflammatory spike-specific IgG4 antibodies after repeated SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccination. So scroll down to the abstract. I'll read a little bit of this, and then I'll give you the absolute most layman's version of what this paper means. So here's the abstract. RNA vaccines are efficient preventative measures to combat the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. So they've got to add that bit at the beginning. High levels of neutralizing SARS-CoV-2 antibodies are an important component of vaccine-induced immunity. Shortly after the initial two mRNA doses, the IgG response, so IgG are the different antibodies. There's IgG 1, 2, 3, and 4. So the IgG response mainly consists of the pro-inflammatory subclasses IgG 1 and IgG 3. Here, so in this, in this study, we report that several months after the second vaccination, SARS-CoV-2-specific antibodies were increasingly composed of non-inflammatory IgG4, which were further boosted by a third mRNA vaccination and or SARS-CoV-2 variant breakthrough infections. IgG4 antibodies among all spike-specific IgG antibodies rose on average from 0.04% shortly after the second vaccination to 19.27% late after the third vaccination. 
This induction of IgG4 antibodies was not observed after homologous or heterologous SARS-CoV-2 vaccination with adenoviral vectors. So they are specifying that they only saw this, um, this conversion to IgG4 antibodies in the mRNA vaccines, so specifically Pfizer and Moderna. Single cell sequencing and flow cytometry revealed substantial frequencies of IgG4 switched B cells within the spike binding memory uh, B cell population. So the B cells are the uh, your memory, your immune system's memory cells. So uh, one of the one of the things about vaccines, these vaccines, which has been problematic the entire time, is one of the thresholds that they were using for approving a vaccine was does it does it increase your level of antibodies. And most vaccinologists were saying it doesn't matter. What really matters is you get B cell and T cell immunity. So that those are the memory cells in your immune system so that when you come across it in the wild again down the track, it can then create new antibodies. Just having is, antibodies in your system all the time is not that. Which is literally the only thing that these trials have been looking for. The, that's the, right. The, the bivalent booster that was tested on the eight mices, <laughs> that's all they looked for. Was yeah. just, all they wanted was an, uh, was an uplift, and they didn't say how much. They just wanted an uplift in that antibody uh, that's response. Right. That was it. Yep. Um, importantly, this class switch was associated... Colin, is, is, it worth, is it worth kind of saying? It's like, it's like advertising... The, the antibody response is like saying adding fuel to your car, like it's going to make it go, it's going to make the thing effective. But this study's kind of saying that you filled the car's tank with cheese, <laughs> and cheese does nothing to help. Look, is close that an analogy. Close. Let me let me just finish this last bit, and then we'll pontificate on it. Yep. So importantly, this class switch, so switching from IgG one and three to IgG four. Uh, was associated with a reduced capacity of the spike-specific antibodies to mediate antibody-dependent cellular phagocytosis and complement deposition. Since FC-mediated effector functions are critical for antiviral immunity, these findings may have consequences for the choice and timing of vaccination regimens using mRNA vaccines, including future booster immunizations against SARS-CoV-2. Okay. That's a lot of scientific gobbledygook, right? Mm -hmm. This is the most layman's way that I can explain what this means. So what this study is essentially saying is that when you got your first and second vaccination, your body was producing IgG1 and 3 antibody cells. And those are the cells that were actually somewhat effective at when you, when you come into contact with the COVID or the virus that causes COVID and it produces the spike protein, those IgG1 and 3 cells were very, were pretty good at actually removing those spike protein cells and the COVID uh, cells in your body. Now, they notice after seven months in this study that some of those cells switch to IgG4. So you'll, you'll see from the abstract where it says that IgG1 and 3 are inflammatory and IgG4 is non-inflammatory. Essentially, what that means is that the, the inflammatory cells in your immune system is what you want to actually combat a virus. You want inflammatory cells. Non-inflammatory cells do not clear the virus anywhere near as well. And as the study says, um, shortly after the second va vaccination to late after the third vaccination, the number of those IgG4 cells rose from 0.04% all the way to almost 20%, 1927 
So in other words, this study is suggesting that the more you get vaccinated, the more of those cells switch from IgG1 and 3 to IgG4, which means your body is less equipped to actually fight off COVID infection. So essentially what this is saying is that if you've already had, say, two shots, any additional shot after your second one is making you more likely to not only get infected with COVID, but experience worse outcomes because your immune system is less equipped to actually fight off and clear out the infection. Um, which kind of goes to one of my arguments throughout the entire rollout is when I'd pull up either the COVID Live or, or just get the, the COVID um, Google numbers. Mm-hmm. And I'd show people like vaccine rates that go like this and infection rates that go like this. That's right. And death rates that go like this. And you're like, shouldn't, like, shouldn't that not happen? Like, yeah. shouldn't it go down? Like, that's right. That's what, we, be that's what we were told would happen, right? Like, shouldn't there be a correlation between high vax rates and shouldn't the that's case right. rate, especially when we're told that it's you can't get COVID? Yeah. And um, I, I had a, like, just to give you the layman's numbers, and, and it's interesting, I saw Discernible put up a post on Twitter uh, yesterday, I think it was. And he was basically saying, he's like, I'm sick of the the toing and the throwing and the lying on both sides. I just want to see raw data, which tells me what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. And I said, the problem is you don't, you don't actually get any raw data anymore. So even with things like these, yeah, sci- yeah with these scientific papers, for example, and we've spoken about this before, even when they go, Oh, it's, it's peer reviewed. Peer review doesn't. Victoria's reporting. <laughs> Yeah, well, peer review doesn't mean that um, they tell you all of the data because the peer reviewers don't even get to see the raw data sets. They only get to yeah. see what the actual um, people who are running the study send to them. And all of these studies are sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. So yeah. so the reality is this. Your, when, you, when you look at studies, you've got to look at as many as you possibly can. And anything that you can see, number one, clear conflicts of interest, you can probably rule out. And number two, anything that you can see, like the TOGETHER trial on ivermectin, for example, that that study had clear red flags that it was set up to fail. And so, like, for example, that TOGETHER study, just the, the, the red flag for that one was that they based your dosage of ivermectin based on your BMI. And once your BMI got over a certain level, which I think was 30, which puts you in the obese category they actually started reducing the amount of ivermectin they gave patients when they should have gone the other way. So it is clear as day that that study was designed to make it look like ivermectin was less effective because the people, the fattest people get the worst outcomes from COVID. And if you give them less of the medicine, then it amplifies the negative results of the trial, right? But also, the thing I found with the ivermectin studies is that all the ones that they showed poo-pooing it all tried to cure covid yeah yeah whereas i don't think like the original studies never said that it was i mean that it was designed to cure it well it was it, supposed to be a prophylactic a prophylactic well yeah so yeah. the stuff that first came out of um the african nations that use ivermectin weekly to combat things like the river blindness and all that sort of stuff yeah. Uh, they found that they had much lower incidences of COVID. So there was like a correlation type thing where yeah. they were like, okay, so why why would these guys be getting better outcomes from COVID itself? 
Now, Dr. Pierre Corey and the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, uh, they were using ivermectin as part of their protocol to treat COVID positive patients, but it was part of a stack where it was like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin D, um, azithromycin, quite a few different things all involved. Mm-hmm. In, and it was a process and it was like you only used ivermectin up to a certain amount of days. And then it, if you still were bad, then you got these extra things. And yep. right. So you're supposed to be used as part of a stack, but not to go, go too far into the ivermectin thing to get back to, to the point. Like you don't get, you don't get the real data. You don't get the raw data. So what you have to do, like we're in year three now, you look around and you go, okay, what does my real world experience of these vaccines tell me? And I saw on Twitter, someone had posted something about the vaccines and work not working and they were, they were from Australia. And there's always the initial comment, which is, oh, source? Like, what's your source for that? Wait, can, you have, can I have a source? Because that's, that's the only thing that people on Twitter do is they, yeah. instead of going to look for something themselves, they just try to pretend that you don't have a source for it. And they also have. They also know they've got a leg up that that their media sources are not showing you that stuff. Well, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Um, so I replied to it and I said, covidlive.com.au, which is the site that you just pulled up, they track all the data. And I said, in 2020, we had roughly 909 deaths and obviously 2020, no vaccines. Uh, much, may, way less infections too. We only had about just under 30,000 infections, right? In 2021, we had about 300,000 infections and we had uh, about 2,200 deaths as per the data. So about a 10x uptick in infections and only a two times uptick in deaths. Deaths, yes. So you could argue that perhaps the vaccine had a protective effect in 2021, potentially. You've also got a factor in 2020 was original Wuhan flu strain, Uh, 2021 was primarily Delta and then Omicron towards the end of the year in about December. Now, what is the most concerning though is that in 2022, so you got to remember, we as a nation hit minimum 90% double dose vaccinated in December 2021. Mm-hmm. So, like you were saying with your graphs, we got we got the spike in the in the vaccination rate. So you would have expected to see a smoothing off and a lowering of the infection and fatality rate mm. if the vaccines were working, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this year we've had about 11 million infections mm-hmm. and we've had about 14,000 deaths. Yeah. So 11 million to 300,000 is is what? About a 40 times um, higher infection rate and we've had a seven times higher uh, amount of fatalities. Now, obviously you could go, oh, well, the infection fatality, fatality rate is lower, therefore the vaccines are working. And yeah. then you've also got to factor in the fact that Omicron is a far less severe uh, variant of the virus. And the well. way to prove that is you can this, those same numbers are represented in com- countries that don't have the vaccine. That's right. That's right. So the yeah, it is pretty. So the vac- yeah, it's pretty clear oh, as day and, now. Oh, but I, I, I want to say this. Mm-hmm. I think these studies are going to get worse for the pro-vax when the uh, uh, when the they narrow it down to age and sex cohorts that's right because I think that I if I had to guess mm-hmm. I would say that it's going to show less of an effect less, less of a negative effect on the older population but like our age group our co and younger 
I think it's going to show higher risk of like uh, severe adverse events mm. than COVID-related deaths. I think, I yeah. think that's really going to show. So here's the concerning thing. Um, up until now, the so if you if you look on the only state in Australia that kept releasing. So you were saying that Victoria was the only one still recording on mm. COVID Live. The only state in Australia that has actually released the the full health data numbers on... Sorry, the COVID data numbers this year was New South Wales. Mm. And New South Wales' data has shown that the majority of hospitalizations and deaths oh, yeah. are of people who have had three or four vaccinations. Now, again, it's quite easy to say, well, those people who've had three and four are probably elderly or immunocompromised. Like, they'll be the people at the front of the list to get these yeah. additional vaccinations. And you, you might be completely right to say that. What my concern, though, is that with that study that's just come out about uh, all of the antibodies switching to IgG4, we might be about to see a massive uptick in the... Uh, case to fatality ratio. Yeah, we're creating another wave. Yeah, but because but a the wave... immune response isn't going to be there because we still got the infections. Like you had COVID live up. What what did Victoria uh, report today for its infections? Sorry, I just closed it. I'll bring it back up. That's all right. We got time. Right, so. New cases. So Victoria's only reported an increase of two thousand cases today, but twenty three deaths. Yeah. So, well, I mean, like that's that's like that's one point three percent, right? Yeah. Mind you, that you can't really say that because new cases today aren't going to die today. There's going to be yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Right. So if, if you scroll down, what else are we looking at here? So we've that's all, the vaccinations. Yes, yeah, so we've had sixty-four and a half million vaccinations delivered in this country. Mm. Awesome. See vaccination age. Uh, yeah, but see these guys only show vaccination age; they don't show case and death age. Yeah. Okay. So you actually have to wait to see the um, like Australian Bureau of Statistics data. Which, yeah. which again, that that data should be released for this year in early January, so it'll be interesting yeah. to go back and look at that. But okay, so here's here's the next level. So isn't what, that interesting? Vaccinations, eighty six point five percent is what it's showing Australia as, but they they purported to us ninety six percent. Like they were screaming from the mountaintops in Australia, it was ninety six percent double dose. Yeah, that's zero yeah. plus though. So that tells me that people haven't vaccinated ah, their kids. They're not doing the kids. Yeah. yeah, good. So at least people have woken up a little bit, and not not vaccinating kids. I had conversations with people over Christmas mm. that said, "Oh, I got it because I had to." But there's no way I'm giving it to my kids. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm 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 at least glad to hear that. You know. Yeah. Because, yeah. Like, can we go to the John Campbell? Um, yeah, well, I, I think this is pretty damn relevant to the conversation. So for those of you, is. while Alex cues this up, for those of you who don't know, so John Campbell is a semi-retired uh, medical nurse from the UK. 
Uh, he's extremely qualified. There's actually another video that he just posted on Rumble, which actually he rattled through his credentials because I think he's kind of sick of people just questioning him. And uh, like he's written many textbooks which get used in educating nurses all over the world. Uh, he's an extra. He's created a resource bank that is free for anyone in the world to access. That's right. Does a lot of work with um, African. Uh, countries yeah and for anyone who who isn't aware we started following well i specifically started watching john campbell early in the pod in in the pandemic because he was extremely pro-vaccination and i deliberately watched him because i wanted to hear i wanted someone to convince me that my gut instinct was wrong and he was the best communicator towards the beginning of the pandemic and i must admit I didn't like what I heard in the first couple of months that I was listening to him, but like the best thing about his channel is from a, a actual medical professional's perspective, he just reads the data and, yep. and he extrapolates what that data actually means in the real world. And his journey over time from hard out blue pill to now he's getting pretty hard out red pill is very, very interesting because... I can prove the pill, the levels of pill Mm-hmm. Uh, in just two pitches. Right. Let me just find it. Because um, we, what we can do is compare and contrast. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Are you going to look at uh, what was in his background? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. Because it's not the one. So he's had three backgrounds. Yeah. So he's had here... I'll, I'll put it up. So he's had this one. That's that's the one... That's not the one. That's not the early no, one. No, that's it? one that he uses... Uh, that's like his pillars of health, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there is earlier... Good looking bloke too for an old dude. Um, oh yeah, so that must have been when he introduced it. Here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. Uh, no, it's not that one. Where is it? You know the one I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's gone back through and changed all of his um, <laughs> thumbnails. Yeah. How far back are we? That's a year ago. Oh, it would have yeah. been older than that, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would have been older than that. But anyway, essentially, he, he has, like, and, and put it this way, as someone who has worked in the medical profession as long as he has... It makes complete sense why he would have trusted the health authorities the way he did at the beginning because you would have been insane not to but by reading the data and observing what was going on and seeing the inconsistencies he's ended up coming to the same conclusions as we have but he's also got far more access to um, actual data because he's got connections and he's got far more medical knowledge than we have as well so that's why he's good to listen to I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother trying to. I can't find it. No, I can't. No, I wouldn't find bother it. trying to find it. Okay, so let's. But I mean, you saw the one that had like. Um, um, <coughs> less beer, less cigarettes. Yeah. Now look, he's got everything in the back. So yeah. audio listeners, it says it's got a it's got a uh, picture of I think that's uh, Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. Um, and it says follow the evidence wherever it leads. Mm-hmm. So I think he's going to be doing a uh, episode with Sam Tripoli soon. So yeah, now just to cue this up, this is a video that he dropped us today, yeah, which is extremely important based on what we've just been speaking about. And the video itself is called "Reanalysis of mRNA Trial Data." 
So this is a reanalysis of the original Pfizer and Moderna phase three data. But we just wanted to share with you uh, his, it's just a couple of seconds at the open of the video. Yeah. Because what he says is quite staggering. So Alex, if you yeah, want just, to roll it. Just, Jace, just check that on your uh, OBS that the sound's coming through because I'm doing it a different way this time. Oh, great. So a way yeah. that's not the way that we tested it. Correct. All right. Let's yeah, see. Man. And it's not coming through. Hold on. I can fix it. I can fix it. I can fix it. I can fix it. This is what happens when you record things live-ish with no producer, guys. This is how we do. I can fix it. I can fix it. I believe. I know I can. I know I can. Let's try this. Well, you're most welcome to this video. It's the last day of 2022. Just bear with me for about 20 seconds for a brief history lesson. Swine flu vaccine, 1976. There was one serious uh, adverse event per 100,000 people vaccinated and the vaccine was withdrawn. Uh, This is good because the principle is we should do no harm and the vaccine should be good for the individual that receives the vaccine. So vaccine was withdrawn. Rotavirus vaccine, Rotashield, 1999. One to two serious adverse events per 10,000 people given the vaccine. And again, rightly, the vaccine was withdrawn. At the moment, COVID-19 mRNA vaccines, there's one serious adverse adverse event per 800 people that are vaccinated. And the vaccine is officially uh, promoted. Um, Now, some of you might be a little confused about this. Um, Join the club, so am I. Now... This information about 1 in 800 comes from a reanalysis of the original phase three trial um, studies from Pfizer and Moderna. And here's the paper here that we're going to be looking at. And if you need to dash off, I'm just going to give you a quick summary of this. So this is the paper here, Serious Adverse Events of Special Interest Following mRNA COVID Vaccines in Randomized Trials in Adults. These are the original trials. Full text is available there. Can we just say that, like, this was what all policy was made of, right? All policy came came from heavily redacted contracts with Pfizer and this Phase 3 clinical trial, right? And just remember, the headline of the Phase 3 trial, at least from Pfizer, was 95% efficacy at preventing symptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection. That's what that's what the headline was. Ninety five percent effective at preventing infection from COVID. We'll keep playing this. Just tell me when you want it to stop. Yeah, I'll just like just it. a little bit after this, and we'll stop it. Why we uh, question the safety profile of mRNA COVID nineteen vaccine? Now, this is by two of the authors of the study, and it just gives a very useful summary. And the authors say this in their Substack, using uh, publicly available data from Pfizer and Moderna studies. And bear in mind, the publicly available data is somewhat limited. We found one serious adverse event for every 100 people vaccinated. That trans. How does that compare to the last piece of data that we just looked at? Or that confirms it? Well, this is... The last piece of data we were talking about was more so based on COVID infection. This is just specifically speaking about adverse events. So this is saying, uh, for any of you who didn't hear it correctly, 
they found one serious adverse event for each 800 vaccinees. So for every 800 people that were vaccinated, one had a serious adverse event. Now, he does go on to say that... No, that's vaccines, not people. No, it says vaccinees. That's people. Uh, okay, true. Yeah, right. right. My bad. Okay. Um, so, so, but you could say one in 1,600 vaccines, if you want. Yep. Vaccinations. Translates to about one in 1,250 serious events for each million vaccine recipients. Now, if you think of 1,250 serious adverse events per million vaccine recipients and you think about the number of people that have been vaccinated with these mrna vaccines i'm not going to do a back of the envelope calculation you can see the the import of this now this was studied in uh, published in the you, you can stop it there so yeah. so this is interesting right because what this essentially is this is not a brand new study or anything like that this is people going back and now that the Pfizer phase three and the Moderna phase three trial data is actually uh, publicly available data, you've had real scientists go back through and reanalyze the data. Mm. And they have concluded that one in every 800 people who've had two doses of these vaccines has experienced a serious adverse event. And if I'm correct, because I haven't actually read this particular paper myself because I only saw this this afternoon. But when I've seen similar papers uh, along these lines, what they classify a serious adverse event as is something that will require hospitalization and can have symptoms for up to 90 days after. Now, where I want to sort of um, add to that you know how I always say I try to use like anecdotal like I want to pick up something see a headline yep read the body and then compare it to what's happening on the ground mm-hmm. our hospitals are still fucked oh dude don't get me started we on don't have hospitals. we don't have time for you to get into yours it would take all night yeah but our hospitals are still an absolute mess mm-hmm. yet it you know COVID should be should be uh, gone effectively gone yeah if the vaccines work, COVID would be a non-factor. Yeah, but it, uh, yeah. So, and um, have you also noticed in the media recently about how they're trying to drip feed in restrictions again? Starting to just throw out, oh, you know, we need to be masking because we got another wave. Oh, like it's slowly starting to creep back in again. And not to get us too much off track and into conspiracy corner, but have you also noticed all of the press lately about how Australia is not imposing any sort of testing or travel restrictions on Chinese people who are trying to come over here? No, I haven't. No. You haven't noticed I, that? To be fair, I haven't, because I've been trying to read my book. Okay. I've, I've not watched a lot of news. So I'm just going to brief. I know that other countries have. I know that other countries are like, hey, we, we, we've got this plane in yeah. and 60% of them have COVID. Yeah. So I'm going to briefly mention this because apart from you guys keeping an eye out for news stories, which are trying to say that uh, people are dying of COVID-induced myocarditis and heart attacks, mm-hmm. I want you to keep an eye on the fact that Australia has not imposed any form of travel restrictions on Chinese people entering the country. Now, China is currently going through a massive wave We mean wave people of from China. Yeah, sorry, people from China. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm not racist. Anyone... <laughs> it sounded it. <laughs> China, China is the biggest hotspot on the planet for COVID infections, apparently. China number one. At the moment. China number one. They are. 
uh, because I think they're talking about they might be hitting 1 million new infections a day soon, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And then um, Xi Jinping has just dropped every COVID restriction over there because they've cancelled the zero COVID policy. So people are leaving the country in droves at the moment. And most other major countries around the world, America, UK, India, somewhere else, they have at least said that you must uh, submit to a COVID test on arrival. Mm. At Sounds least on that. Australia has specifically said that we won't impose anything like that on people coming here from China. Now, there's two things about this I find interesting. Number one, uh, I feel like that is because they want to keep the COVID gravy train continuing and our next segment's going to explain a little bit why. So they want people, because people are losing the fear of COVID, Mm -hmm. I believe. And I'm seeing a lot of stories in the news at the moment about how with so many infections, because they're they're wheeling out the same epidemiologists who got everything wrong during COVID on TV. They're wheeling them all out again to go, oh, well, with a million infections a day, there's a chance that they might create a new variant that might get around our immune protection. Right, so they're, yeah, they're... I love I love that because that, remember that that came they use that every single time. Yeah, it could be worse, even though we know that like it's never been worse. It's always more virulent, yeah, but less deadly. Except it seems to be not... worse now that everyone's vaccinated. But don't let that get in the way. Yeah. Make sure you get your booster. Well, no, the virus is not worse. The no, no, that's right. Fighting it, is worse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, basically, what it, what if you want to put it into an analogy uh, for any Seinfeld fans out there? Essentially, getting booster shots and additional vaccinations is like that episode where George Costanza gives the chair to the security guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what happens to your immune system. He's fallen asleep yeah, on the Everyone wants to see it. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's one part out of it. I believe that they, they kind of want to stoke the fear that ch- people leaving China are going to come here and spread new variants into the marketplace. Um... But oh, there was another part of this too, which I've now lost my train of thought because I'm too busy thinking about Seinfeld. Mm. So you're, you're telling us the reasons why you think they're not restricting flights from China. Mm. Reason number one. Well, because I think it's minerals. Like, I don't think we have a trepidatious relationship with China as it is. Mm-hmm. And we can't afford... Because like, I, I, I love it. I go... I go I go to the gym and some of the guys there are like really anti-China. I'm like, you do realize that like all of this around here yeah. <laughs> is paid for everything by Chinese buying our minerals. And, like and that's did you also check like what clothes they're wearing and stuff? Because they're probably all made oh, in China too. Of course, of course. But um, and I think is Senate uh, is Senator Wong still there? No, no, back? no, she's come back. Yeah, but I mean you've just gone over there to try and build some better relationships. You can't go around and say, oh, by the way, no flights. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That was my second point. It wasn't, my second point wasn't necessarily about, um, the people returning from China. What my second point was, was don't you find it interesting how they are not willing to impose restrictions on people coming from China and yet the government was extremely happy to impose restrictions on our own people and whether or not they could even move into state. Oh, yeah. And there's still people on um, TV talking about um, making sure Djokovic can't play. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, like, and that's it. There's still conversations now. And, like, I saw something, again, just an offhand comment on one of the news programs the other day where they were saying, like, oh, like, you know, maybe we need to talk about, like, controlling people moving state to state at the moment. So... So we are quite happy to lock out down our own people, but we're not mm. so happy to lock down international travellers to come over here. And the Mate, only... South Australians aren't buying any coal, bruh. Yeah, yeah, true. But like, obviously, the only reason why you could potentially be doing that is like you're saying, relations with China and potentially economic benefit by Chinese people coming here to Australia. Like, we, I keep hearing in the it's news... It's less that one. It's less the second. It's more the first one. Yeah, you're probably right. But I keep hearing yeah. in the news, they're like, oh, like, the um, the tourism sector's back booming again. Like, Gold Coast is open for business. And I'm like, I live on the Gold Coast. There ain't no one here. <laughs> like, there's no... There, there are interstate travellers that have come up here for a holiday. There ain't yeah. no internationals here. Our, yeah. our um, reputation on the international stage is dog shit. People don't yeah. want to come over here and be locked, like potentially locked down or cop a $3,000 quarantine, like hotel quarantine charge. Yeah, I look, I'm still waiting. I need the backpackers to come back because that's, I get a lot of money. Uh, I sell a lot of cars and buy a lot of cars from backpackers. Yep. And I often drive past the backpacking uh, hostels just mm-hmm. to see like what the buzz is like. And, Years like 2019 was killing them everywhere, yeah. everywhere, yeah. everywhere, and they're starting to ramp back up, but nothing like they used to. No. There used to be buses picking them up out the front. There's always like bags out the front of these places. They're yeah. always packed. It's just not like that. And for anyone who cares about like our national identity, if you have seen the way that our country's been portrayed overseas in the last two years, we we are not. I, w- I would not be putting my like Australia on the holiday destination list anymore. And just understand too, the only people that are acting this way is Australia, Canada, uh, and, and the Zealand. UK. Oh, New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. But it's it's like, it's not everyone. No. It's just, you know, the Scandinavian countries who we always think are like the smartest, they're not doing this. Yeah, it's just all the countries with leaders who are controlled by the World Economic Forum, which will segue us through into our next segment. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, next and last segment, uh, which is also completely relevant to this conversation. So, uh, I won't won't go to the article first. I'm just going to just, like, I want to add a bit of context. So, what you guys might be aware of, because we've spoken about it on the pod before, but for anyone who's not aware... The Victorian government did a deal with vaccine manufacturer Moderna to open a Moderna manufacturing facility in Victoria, which I believe is being built next year, plans on being opened by 2024. And the the plan is to pump out 100 million mRNA vaccines per year. Now, that could be either for COVID. I know there's a lot of other mRNA vaccines in the works at the moment. They're trying to do a flu mRNA vaccine. They're trying to do an RSV mRNA vaccine. So it it appears that the entire vaccine uh, ecosystem is now throwing out the old effective ones and just banking on mRNA. That's where they want to be. Can they just produce them? How about we do this as a deal? Produce 100 million of them and we'll throw them in a river. (laughs) It'd be better for the country. For Everybody sure. wins. Yeah. Except the fish. Yeah. So what is interesting is that Moderna has also done a deal with Canada. Exactly the same thing. Manufacturing plant in Canada, 100 million doses per year. 
and they've also recently done a deal with the UK. Same deal, manufacturing plant, 100 million doses per year. Now, why I find this fascinating is that pretty much everyone knows the vast majority of vaccines that were used around the world apart from the UK initially were Pfizer, right? Pfizer was the it girl of of vaccine companies because they got to market first. So then they made all the money initially and then they hit all the advertising money. And Moderna is not really that popular around the world purely based on advertising. And also, in my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion, Moderna is the more dangerous of the two mRNA vaccines because Moderna's mRNA dosage is far higher than Pfizer's dosage. To give you an, to let you know, Pfizer's adult dosage is 30 micrograms of mRNA per dose. Moderna's adult dosage is 100 micrograms of mRNA per dose. The pediatric dose or dose for children in Pfizer, I believe is 10 micrograms for Pfizer. And in Moderna, it's 30. So it's the same as the adult Pfizer dose for children, which is why I believe you see much higher adverse event rate in uh, people who've received Moderna. So if you've got someone in your family who's just going to get vaccinated and you can't convince them not to, and it has to be mRNA, at least try to convince them to take Pfizer, not Moderna, because Pfizer at least has a lower dosage of the mRNA. Mm. That's one bit of advice I can give. But it's only it's only it's only a third of a tank of cheese. Yeah, it's only a third of a tank of cheese. That's right. Instead yeah. of one hundred percent cheese. Yeah. Now, why is Moderna, the company itself, extremely interesting? Well, there are two main reasons why. Number one, the Moderna COVID vaccine itself is partially owned by the American National Health Service. They actually were so they've they've co-founded these vaccines because the National Institutes of Health gave sorry yeah it's it's National Institutes of Health in America National Health Service in the UK. The National Institutes of Health gave Moderna the mRNA technology to hmm. create these vaccines, and they got part ownership in return. So the actual the National Institutes of Health actually makes money out of the Moderna vaccine. Yeah. What is also interesting is what Alex is about to put up on the screen now. Oh, is that a cue? Yeah. Which is this news article. So this is from two years ago. Okay. Rishi Sunak refuses to say if he will profit from Moderna COVID vaccine. So before we continue on, Rishi Sunak is now the UK Prime Minister who just signed the deal with Moderna to open a Moderna manufacturing plant in the UK. Okay. Now, this article is from two years ago when he was just the Chancellor. So he wasn't the Prime Minister at this time. He was the Chancellor. And the byline here, it says, Chancellor's former hedge fund invested heavily in Moderna, which had 94.5% trial success. If you can scroll down a little bit, Alex. The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, has refused to disclose whether he will profit from a surge in the share price of the COVID-19 vaccine manufacturer Moderna, one of the biggest investments held by the hedge fund he co-founded before entering Parliament. Moderna has become the latest biotech firm to announce successful trials of its vaccine, declaring on Monday that it was 94.5% effective in trials. Sunak was a founding member of Thaleem Partners, a major investor in Moderna and one of the executives managing its US office. He left the firm in 2013, returning to the UK to pursue his political career. It is not known whether the Chancellor retained any investment in the Thaleem Fund after leaving. 
Thaleem is registered in the Cayman Islands, a tax haven which does not make company records public. Ordinarily, a partner in a hedge fund would own a stake in the management company and have invested money into its fund. A year ago, Sunak declared in the list of ministers' interests that he was the beneficiary of a blind trust. The contents of the trust have not been disclosed to the public. <laughs> Stock market filings show that Thaleem has a 500 million US dollar investment in the US-based Moderna, which accounts for around 20% of all the money it manages, which is about $2.5 billion. Can you scroll down a little bit more? Shortly after the news of Moderna's successful trial broke, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, revealed that the government had secured an advance order of 5 million doses of the vaccine. Okay, we can leave this story there. So, to... <laughs> to, to summarise... Can no, hold on, hold on. Can we, can we do an impersonation? I'll be Su- uh, Mr. Sunak. Rishi Sunak, yep. You be someone asking me if I will benefit. Um, Mr. Sunak, uh, it has come to our attention that you were a uh, founding partner of Thaleem Hed- the hedge fund, Thaleem Group, or whatever it's called, which has invested over $500 million in Moderna, a company that had never made a profit prior to COVID, just so you're aware. Um, oh, and, I'm aware. And, and Moderna has just recently completed some successful phase three trials around its new COVID vaccine. Uh, will you be making any profit out of the surge in share price that we've seen from Moderna due to this great news? Well, let me first start off by saying that uh, I ain't saying anything. <laughs> I plead the nothing. fifth. I plead, <laughs> I plead the fifth. I ain't saying shit, dog. <laughs> I ain't saying shit. So again, let let me summarize. Hey, 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 hey! Go ask Cayman Islands. <laughs> let me summarize this for y'all who are playing who are playing along. Moderna, who was uh, an mRNA company which only was able to create a vaccine because it is in a partnership with the American government through the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, who was heavily invested in by the current UK Prime Minister's hedge fund to the tune of $500 million, which is located out of the Cayman Islands, and he has disclosed that he's the beneficiary of a blind trust, so we don't know which trust, like, which company provides the money. Don't worry, it's blind. Yeah, yeah, it's blind. blind. That that means it's all legit. Blind means all legitimate. That's right. It definitely is blind. That is one of the biggest learning experiences from 2022 is the new meanings I've learned for words. Mm. So, so the blind trust he's a beneficiary of, now we know that Rishi Sunak's net wealth is somewhere in the vicinity of $700 million. So going into parliament's completely for his like it's selfless reasons, right? He's got enough money, so he must be just being completely. Isn't his selfless. wife worth more than he is? Or maybe it's his wife that's worth seven hundred million pounds. His wife's a billionaire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's just got this little. She probably gave him five hundred million. And goes go, go invest in something. Mm. Thank you, Mrs. Yeah. Um, he's also a World Economic Forum young global leader. For oh. anyone who's paying attention. And, uh, is Albo? I don't think so. Good, that's good. No, Albanese was just raised by his single mum 
uh, which that's good. I don't know if anyone knows about that. I don't know if we've <laughs> spoken about it really much yeah. at all. Well, hey, I'd rather that in a pro- in a uh, council home than by our mate over in uh, the WEF. Except the problem is that Albanese is acting like a broke ass who doesn't know how to spend money. <laughs> oh, he'll learn. But yeah, so, so again, summary. Um, Moderna, in partnership with the US government, so the US government profits out of the Moderna vaccine, has now gone around the Western world to all of the COVID hysteria partners and has done deals to create manufacturing plants in their countries to pump out 100 million vaccine doses per year of mRNA. No idea what the what the different mRNA vaccines are going to be for because they're probably only going to be producing from 2024 onwards. And Rishi Sunak just signed the deal. Like, he's the Prime Minister of the UK and he's just signed the deal to start this partnership. But it doesn't matter because it's a blind... It's a blind trust. Yeah, that's right. So if you blind can't trust. see the conflict of interest, then the hey, conflict also, of interest doesn't exist. Let's also not forget about Moderna has the patent for the sequence of coronavirus that they painted in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget about that either. Yeah, it's, that's a non-factor, right? It's a non-factor. Is it though? <laughs> Is it? So, um, so yeah. Mm. What do you guys think about that? I'll give the tip. I ain't taking any mRNA. It sucks. It doesn't work. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I wouldn't say it doesn't work. Oh, sorry. It does what. It depends Bill Gates who you wanted. ask. It, it it does what Bill Gates wanted it to do in the TED talk that he did in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, depopulation through vaccination. Yeah. Through successful yeah. vaccination programs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. While uh, this is probably the best way to start your 2023, because we want you guys to start off uh, knowing what scams going on, what to look out for, Follow how the to money. how to keep yourself safe. Because we money. love buy you Bitcoin. Guys. Buy yeah, Bitcoin. buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, and perhaps some shares in Moderna because you may as well profiteer out of the, nah, the scum. Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll leave it there. On that note. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Out.